Welcome back to the Snakescast. It's Friday, or at least it was at one point. It may no longer be, because time is fluid. <laughs> we were talking... You have played Tides of Time. Uh, sure, yeah. Conceptually. Um, we've, <laughs> we've been talking about drafting games uh, all week, Monday, Wednesday, and also today. Uh, we're going to be talking about super weird, super wacky games with drafting elements, and also some more, like, philosophical stuff. Getting into the questions, what's it all about, man? So, anyway, one thing that's kind of universally acknowledged in drafting games is that they kind of don't work with two players. I mean, Seven no. Wonders says two to seven on the box. That's a lie. That is, that is, that is a terrible, terrible lie. Now, on the other hand, Seven Wonders Duel, great game for two players. I don't think it's really a coincidence, though, that they abandoned the, the, the sort of pick-and-pass format for the more of grabbing stuff from a display, picking teams in the schoolyard format. Mm-hmm. Not so much the sushi-go style, but the, uh, the ticket-to-ride style of drafting. And that works a lot better for two players, I think. Cause so much better. Typically, those, the, the, at those schoolyard pickings, it's two teams that are picking and there's a reason you know every person you pick is one person that the other team can't have and when you're playing seven wonders duel that feel is very much present yeah i mean when you're doing the whole like pick and pass the hand along thing part of the reason it works and is kind of like the stress of, i don't know what's going to be left in this hand when it comes back to me mm-hmm. right if i want this card here but also this card here in like two or three rounds when it's back to me when it's gone through you know player two three and four like will they still be there exactly who knows you have to make like a little bit more stressful, a little bit more risky decisions. But with two players, I'm picking a card, I'm passing you a card, you only get to take one, so I can not necessarily guarantee, but I've got a really good idea of what's going to be left when it comes back to me. Right? And that's why so many of the of these drafting games, when they do a two-player variant, they have to do some sort of nonsense in there to remove a couple of cards. Like in Citadels, for example. Uh, the two-player variant for Citadels is a bit strange because when it's your turn to draft, you pick a card for yourself and you also pick a card to throw away. And then you pass the rest back and the other player doesn't know which one you took and which one you tossed. Whereas it's it, it's very rare to see a game that will actually draft in, in, in the pure sense with two players. I can only think of one example for that, and that's Tides of Time. Do you know this one? No. Ignacy Trevicek was on uh, was on the show a while back. We did an interview with him where he talked about this game. You can go back and listen to that episode from season four. Thing is, though, that it's specifically designed that way because every card is worth a certain number of points depending on which other cards you have. Mm-hmm. So every card that you draft is a card the other player doesn't get to have. You just All you got is you're drafting five. There's ten cards here, five for you, five for them. You pick one, pass the other four across, pick one, pass the other three across, and so on until you've got your five, which means taking a card that gets you no points but would net them seven points is exactly the same mathematically as taking a card that would get you seven points. Hate drafting is now the norm. There's never a question as to whether or not it's worth the risk of not doing something good for myself to do something bad for you. It's all hate, all the time. And uh, with a new one that just came out, um, uh, Tides of Madness, which is the Cthulhu-themed version of Tides of Time. Yes, they put Cthulhu in Tides of Time. So trendy. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it, in this case, it actually kind of works. Because uh, remember how you know, some, some of the elements in drafting games tend to be just straight up better than others? Mm-hmm. Well, in a two-player game, Everybody's always just going to take the best stuff, and there's not going to be a question of what goes well with other things, because there's only one other person who can get it. You know exactly what's going on. Tides of Madness has some cards that are just straight up better than other cards. It's just that those cards have tentacles on them. 
and they make you go insane if you get too many of them. Which means all I have to do is not take the tentacle cards if the other player's gone too big on those, and they're going to have to take them. And then they'll go crazy. Goodbye, they lose. So when you're talking about tides of time working well with two players because, you know, the difference between gaining seven points and costing somebody seven points is basically the same when there's just two of you. exactly the same. It doesn't really work when there's more people, you know? Like, I can do something that costs you points, but that won't net me anything, but then that leaves me kind of in a precarious position because there's two other people playing with us. Right. They're going to be ahead vis-a-vis you, and yeah, you took one for the team, but... But it's not a team game. Well, this is the thing. In order for hate drafting to be viable... There have to be at least some of the cards that you're drawing that you're just not going to use. Mm-hmm. Like in Sushi Go or Seven Wonders, every single card you draft is going to go into your display. And you're going to score those points. In Seven Wonders, yeah, it's true. You can choose to bury your cards to build your wonders or to, uh, or to get money. And those typically tend to be the ones that you're trying to keep out of other players' hands. But um, in a game like Fairy Tale, for example, Fairy Tale is another sort of early drafting game. It predates Seven Wonders and came out around the same time as Midgard. Uh, in that game, the players draft five cards each, but only three of them are going to score, which means fully 40% of the stuff that I'm drafting, I can dedicate to just keeping things out of other players' hands. Great. And that gives more of a balance as far as you know, choosing what I want for myself and what I just don't want for you. Yeah, I mean, if you've got space specifically that you can spend on stuff that will net you nothing except mm-hmm. the satisfaction of... <laughs> costing somebody something else that's perfect because like so often you have to make that compromise you mm-hmm. know do I screw somebody else over or do I get points for myself so it's super interesting that they're like inciting spite almost they really are they're encouraging they're you they're giving room for you to actually be able to take stuff to do things not profitable to yourself in order to hold back someone yeah. else because it's so sad to have like a hand of 100% profitable, excellent things and have to ditch, like, nearly half of it. So, like, why not just fill it with stuff that'll make other people angry? It does deliberately make the game a bit meaner. And, which is odd, because Fairy Tale is such a bright and cheerful-looking piece of design in a lot of ways. It's such a cheerful name, too. It is. And yet, it's... Well, fairy tales are pretty grim, though, in fact. So I think, you know, thematically, it kind of works. Gravwell is another game that does interesting stuff with drafting. Hi, Gravwell. In Gravwell, you are in space in your little ship, and you're trying to get out of the center of the board to the outskirts of it. And you're kind of using gravity to your advantage, try to either push you away in the direction you want to go, hopefully, or pull you again towards the direction you want to go. And you are drafting cards to do that. And because of the chaotic nature of Gravwell, those cards that you draft are a big deal, and you can never know, at least usually can't know ahead of time, which direction those cards are going to take you Mm -hmm. when you actually wind up playing them. But to further muddy the waters in Gravwell, you don't actually know what you're drafting. At least not all of it. Yeah, you get to see one of the cards that you're drafting, and it's got another one face down underneath it. It's a little mystery card every time. It's like drawing a face down card from the top of the deck and ticket to ride every time you draft one from the display. How you move around in gravel with gravity is that it all it all depends on where the other players are on the board. And who's you know, closest to yeah, you. if you're getting like source of uh, gravity. Yeah, so if you're being like pulled towards the biggest source of gravity, you should hope that there are more people 
towards the direction you want to go or that there is somebody nice and close to you in the direction you want to go. Otherwise, if you're like head of the pack, you might get pulled back, you know, five or six spaces. So it really sucks if you've got this nice card face up and you're like, great, this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly where I want to be going. It'll be perfect. And then underneath (laughs) just gets you sucked closer and closer and closer to the center without anything you can do about it. And having a handful of cards that are just all uh, repulse or just all attract means that you're not going to have a choice. No. So you need a variety, and that's kind of where the drafting comes in. So we talked about worker placement games a few weeks ago, and they're kind of similar, aren't they, drafting and worker placement? I mean, you have a set number of things you can do, and if you do that one thing, somebody else can't do that thing. And there's some nice, you know, subtle mechanical European spite to it. It's got that same passive-aggressive thing going, right? It's like, I I did this thing, so you can't do this thing. I'm not Mm going to attack you directly. I'm just going to deny you the option to do this thing that you clearly Shut wanted down, to do. Shut it down, yeah. And yeah, it is pretty similar. With, with worker placement, you've got the spaces on the board out in the middle, and those tend to be accessible for everyone. You get a few weird cases where I've got my board and you've got your board, mm-hmm. but usually they're out in the middle, and so it's all visible. With drafting, if you're doing the pick and pass thing, then it's, it's got more secret information. If you're doing the schoolyard picking teams thing, like the, you know, the ticket to ride approach, then it really, in a lot of ways, is like a worker placement game. I think that the biggest difference really is the amount of control that you have. Like, Mm. so much of drafting involves the randomness, randomness of the deck. You know, yeah. Uh, At least I'm I'm thinking at least in terms of stuff like you know display, like Mm -hmm. ticket to ride style. You know, like if I want red cards, I better hope that all the red cards (laughs) are in the top third of the deck. Otherwise, you know, if they're all stacked at the bottom, then I'm screwed. Whereas it's not really like that with worker placement games. Um, Well, they don't always involve cards first but also like you've got your board and it's all face up in front of you and it's consistent very rarely do things in worker placement games change significantly at least on a board from one round to the next sometimes they'll change a little bit but again those are changes that are sometimes telegraphed ahead of time yeah new stuff gets added in agricola but it gets added at a very regular schedule Mm -hmm. you don't know exactly when sheep are going to be available but you know it's going to be sometime before the first harvest uh lords of Waterdeep. you know that those spaces are always going to be there you don't know which new buildings are going to come out maybe people are going to build a ton of stuff that gives you wizards or a ton of stuff that gives you money um, which might be used more useful for some players than for others but mostly it's fairly consistent with a draft Generally speaking, you have no idea what's going to come. No idea. It's a lot swingier, and there's less planning for the long term and more adapting to circumstance. Mm -mm. So we we talked a lot about how it's got that European style of messing with people, (laughs) but for people that really like like European style board games, there's not a lot of random elements and a lot of planning ahead games where a drafting mechanic is a big deal Mm -hmm. may not be the games for them because it is super unpredictable and it is difficult to control and you do have to kind of like change your plans halfway through the game once you realize that oh yeah like those cards i was collecting are gone like they're like stacked at the bottom deck or something because they haven't popped up in like 25 minutes and you take a look at things like the bgg ratings for the uh or boardgamegeek.com ratings for the really hardcore game player types i think blood rage is probably the one that's got the highest rating at this point because that's the one that's got the highest barrier to entry Mm -hmm. the drafting does remove a decent amount of that control but if you know the contents of that deck really well, then you can still apply your skill. It's like, again, magic players who know the entire set 
that's being drafted. They know what all the rares, all the uncommons, and all the commons are. They know what threats they have to be worried about. So even though those booster packs that they're opening are random, they have a pretty good idea of what to expect. It's just that there's a very high barrier to entry. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for this week in the Snakescast. We hope you enjoyed our foray into drafting and games. You can get in touch with us at podcast at snakesandlattes.com to let us know what you think, if there's other stuff that you'd like us to talk about, or if you just want to say hello. Uh, the Snakescast is produced by Dax Audio, and music is provided by Ben Sound. Tune in again next week when we're going to talk about a little board game we call Imhotep. The opinions expressed on the Snakescast are those of the presenters and guests, and nobody else's. See you next week, everyone. Mm-hmm.